You're listening to The Voice. Benvenuti a Leuven. Leuven, you Добро пожаловать в Leuven. Bienvenue à Leuven. Willkommen in Leuven. Leuven에 오신 걸 환영합니다. Welcome in Leuven. London is burning. Good afternoon, this is The Voice. Um, my name is Sam Gree. I'll be hosting today with my lovely co-host. Hello, this is Isabella Issa, here to ask him a bunch of questions about Brexit in not very much time. Yes, uh, considering literal events have just happened as we speak, um, it couldn't be more perfect timing, actually, could it, to talk about Brexit when the May's deal has just failed. No, my Twitter window is still open, which yeah. is not professional, but I was scrolling through during our intro sequence because it's still happening. Unbelievable. Yeah. Where do we go from here? Uh, um, that's that's the question for you, friend. Well, it's been the question for the last three years, where do we go from here? But um, <laughs> So May's deal has just failed um, with votes 344 against the 286 in favour. Um, some interesting movements, some hardline Brexiteers were, who for weeks have been saying that they won't vote for our deal, voted to try and pass it, and yet here we are, still failed. And what is that What is that margin like, that 344 to, what is it, 286? In my mind, that seems big, but I am not British, so I'm deferring to you. Um, I would say, compared to the first time that she put basically this exact proposal forward, and the first time she put this forward, um, They've made a lot of gains towards people being more conciliatory because, I mean, it was one of the biggest defeats in the history of the House of Commons. Okay, so she's Basically, going in the right direction. I mean, it was, but it was on the same deal. So you see you're just under pressure how much MPs can be pushed right. um, towards just accepting um, 
her deal just mm. on the grounds that of time and fear of what relies around the corner now because if you look April 12th could be no deal day then that's not that far away no that's that's the next step and I think I think you just on, on Twitter now this Europe have just said uh, European Commission have just said it, no deal is looking more and more likely and that is yeah. an absolutely terrifying prospect so for everyone for, like for, no, yeah. there's no winner here no exactly I think it, it, it's it's just shows just the madness of how things deteriorated that it's it's it is Brexit day now. We're supposed to leave at 11 p.m. this evening, and we still have absolutely no idea how we're going to be looking in, in a week's time, a month's time, a year's time. It, it's the mind boggles that uh, how a country can can get this far. It's God knows. Yeah. <laughs> All right, so I have a lot of questions for you, but what do you want to talk about? Um, because I'd imagine you have some favorite favorite Brexit category conversation starters. Um, well, there's a few things I wanted to go through initially, just on, okay. the, on the Brexit side. Um, I would say my first point would be just on I think on that point of just how much people's opinions have changed. Mm. I think there was a, a really good introduction um, on one of the um, news stations in the UK yesterday mm-hmm. uh, discussing one of the Conservative MPs. Uh, and just to go through how in the last three years his views of his public views have changed ah. <laughs> to quote it's, he voted to remain then became a brexiteer okay. then voted against the deal then voted for the deal then said he'd struggle to back the deal again but now says he will back the deal ben bradley conservative mp it's and that Lit. shows exactly cool, cool, cool. just it, just how unbelievably just irresponsible and lacking in conviction and authenticity that uh, <laughs> so many our politicians have in the UK. I think it's just unbelievable if if they had any real conviction, how they could swing so much between mm-hmm. between voting it. And to be clear, this is the same document. Like these, this third fail, it's the same thing. Yeah, the only thing that's split now is that on this, this was voting on just the withdrawal agreement and the separated from the political declaration, which May okay. had previously um, forced to be attached to it. Um, so she was hoping by simplifying it just to the phase of the withdrawal that people would accept it. But okay. fundamentally, the withdrawal agreement itself is, is next to no different at all okay. to the first time she proposed it. So to say that she's redrafted between votes would be wrong? Yes, pretty much. Okay. Yeah, it's, it's, it, and I think that's what's really come across is this this, this arrogance from the Prime Minister in, in terms of her, her sheer will to commit to only her deal that she's put together. I think it's just... I think it, people have become absolutely astounded that she's still trying to push it through and I think I'm hoping that this third phase will be Mm -hmm. the last we see of of that deal and it shows a real um, I was just seeing live now Jeremy Corbyn saying that there needs to be a rethink about how we're going to approach this and I think wherever you stand that's true and you've kind of answered my question with the word arrogance, but I mean, does she have like a strong base that really loves this deal? No. I mean, okay, because from really... what I've been reading, nobody likes this thing. No, no, except no, maybe Minister May, yeah, Prime Minister May. Excuse that, me. That's the that's the thing. It's that she's she's managed to find the worst of all worlds that pleases absolutely nobody, and I think. Uh, to give her a small piece of credit, I think mm-hmm. she, you are chasing almost the impossible with Brexit right. to please everyone. That was but, my follow-up, But yeah. to, to incredibly kind of marginalise almost every subsection of Brexit support as well as Remainers. Yeah. Um, it dumbfounds me. It really, it's quite incredible how much she's managed to... And then to ignore people's criticisms and right, to yeah. continue with this... I, I mean, if you'd asked me a year or two ago, I would say that she must have some sort of plan about where she's going with this. Mm. But the the closer and closer we've got to this day has made the country realise that there actually isn't much of a plan or strategy behind Mrs May's approach, and it is just a case of her own belief in herself and what she's mm. a, what she's drawn up as being the only right way forward. And it, 
yeah, it flies in the face of the British public and ministers that have all collectively really said that we don't agree with with what she's put forward. Do you think that she knows something that we don't know? No, not anymore. Okay. Uh, are you, uh, are you, <laughs> I'm, I'm grasping at straws, yeah, but I'm going to ask them that's, all. That's 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 what we. But that's but that's what what most of the country have been doing yeah. is that we we were hoping that. I mean, maybe she was hoping that the EU would start to bend towards the end just to right. agree a deal. But I think the, they've been very firm since the first withdrawal act to say that we're they're not changing their position much from what we've agreed. And I, from their perspective, I don't see why they would because right. under what grounds are we to hold a, a no deal gun to their head when it's we're the ones that are going to bear the brunt of the consequences? Absolutely, yeah. Because yeah. there's a desire to tell myself this nice story that like. She's not, you know, I think there's, and again, this is wrong. So if anyone who's just tuning in, rewind a little, listen <laughs> to some context. But, you know, there's this, like, there's this desire to tell myself a story of, like, okay, she wasn't going to side with, like, one fragment of the Brexiteer group because then that would, you know, she wasn't picking a favorite child. She wasn't dividing the British people or, like, siding with one side of the political opinion spectrum. And, but, yeah, I, yeah. yeah I mean, I, I don't envy this lady, but... No, neither neither do I. Yeah, at all. but I'm starting to see your point here. <laughs> yeah, I think like I I would never envy somebody in that position, but right. I think to just flagrantly ignore two resounding defeats in your deal and try to force it through again, it just uh, speaks of of an arrogance and a, and a kind of and she's her, she is a leader. I don't think it's going to take Brexit any further, and she's mm. already said that she right. is stepping, she would step down if this deal passed. But I think mm-hmm. in either case, she should step down because. Uh, to have the opportunity to bring in a new leader that can take fresh perspective and just change things a little bit, I mm. think would be a welcome one. Although the the candidates to replace her, are, are, that was my so. Before we get into that can of worms, my only last Theresa May question is: Does she have any political allies? Like, are there other people? Are there other leaders that she can kind of team up with or like have kind of public support from within Britain? Yeah. Um, so I mean, Jeremy Hunt has been relatively steadfast he was okay. uh, minister for health for a, a long 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 time and okay. now is uh, um, minister for foreign affairs and um, the home secretary so uh, Sajid David is um, he's also very much in favor so she does have some okay. ministers within her cabinet that are very much in favor of supporting her. and I think she's managed to keep quite a lot of support because people don't like the alternatives whether it I be mean... whether it be uh, like in general against the, the idea of Jeremy Corbyn that that's why the deal uh, votes of no confidence mm-hmm. would never pass because the Conservative Party are absolutely terrified of a Jeremy Corbyn government okay. um, so that's why they supported her on that side but on the on the Conservative Party side for them it's hard to find um, somebody amongst the, their midst that they really can support and I think the the I mean you must have seen Boris Johnson uh, he's he's <sighs> I think it's incredible. I mean, I can't put into words what I think of of, of Mr. Johnson. I think he—he yeah. it was only a week ago he was saying he would never ever um, support Mrs. May's deal, and so completely there was this front page on one of our um, major <laughs> newspapers saying it should using some biblical references about fleeing a pharaoh and stuff like that. And, okay, but he voted in favour today, and 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 that only changed because. Um, she announced that she would be stepping down if this agreement passed, and I think. What do you think of that move? I think it's it's it, it's atypical of 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 Boris Johnson, and I don't know it, it, to for him to basically change his opinion as soon as leadership. There might mm. be a sniff of him becoming leader. Ah, uh, okay. That's, I think that's all. It, it's all a game for him, and it, it, 
towards power. I think it's what it seems. Do you? Okay, so now we can lead into the fun part of this conversation. Who are our, who are candidates here? Um, so for the Conservative Party leadership, you've got Boris, but he's not. I mean, he's he's one of the most famous, but right. I think within the Conservative Party, he's. I mean. He, it was only a year ago or two ago where he was doing newspaper pieces saying that women in burkas look like letterboxes. Cool. Uh, and using, his, I think he's too controversial of a figure and okay. he's made too many public errors, I think, for the Conservatives to back him into um, okay. prime ministership. Then you've got Michael Gove. Uh, he was Minister for Education and now is at DEFRA, uh, okay. our Environment Minister. He has some, some degree of support. Um, Ledsom, who ran against May initially a couple of years ago. Okay. Um, and then Home Secretary, Sergeant David, um, who I mentioned before. But it really is... Uh, no, no, none of them command a huge amount of support to be the obvious replacement. Right. So the, the leadership race would be very interesting. And I think it would very much depend on what they offer alternatively for Brexit. But then that's where the May even steps down now because her, her deal didn't pass. So she might just... So is it going to become a contest of who can provide the best kind of Brexit... <laughs> I guess, I guess within the Tory party, yes. I guess okay. it's like whoever can come up with a Brexit idea that... And is there a potential for... An, and I this is a, a strong sign that I don't know enough of British politics. Is there a possibility where an unknown could then... Like a name that you haven't mentioned, that someone could just be selected? Or is that not how the system works? Uh, I doubt they could bring any anybody okay. that's not already... Because anybody that's not already well considered or at least been okay. kind of... Mooted, I don't think could come from nowhere and okay. um, seal the reins at the last. Although maybe that would be the best thing for it to have a fresh face without the baggage of the rest of them. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think all this, yeah, I think where it's going next in terms of leadership, I don't know. But I think with a- April twelfth maybe being a Brexit, no deal Brexit. I, I don't know what's going to happen in between, but there's going to have to be some sort of agreement on an extension. I, I can't imagine either the EU or. Mm-hmm. Britain accepting a no deal I really okay yeah I really hope not <laughs> and then extension wise how long would that be I think it was until the 22nd of May okay and then I think what really should happen then whether it will I'm not sure would be best case would be for the, the Conservatives to replace May with a new leader mm. hold a general election um, before May 22nd uh, and then both part, well, all parties can consolidate exactly what they want from Brexit and make that very clear. And then instead of holding the second, even though, so in these series of um, votes that just occurred before um, the vote on May's third withdrawal agreement um, effort, um, the most popular amongst them was the idea of having a confirmation vote at the end. So basically a people's vote on whether we wanted it. Okay. Um, so either that people's vote will continue to gain momentum or a general election would act as a de facto people's vote by right. if Labour present themselves as mm-hmm. a Remain party, which would be a massive step for them because they've been very much kind of Brexit if we can get what we want, second okay. people's vote if we can't. But if if that would be the best way out of the deadlock would be for the Tories to elect a new, minister, a new prime minister okay. um, who can present their Tory Brexit and Labour present theirs and the Lib Dems, okay. etc. And then have that general election. But... And what is what is a Labour Brexit looking like, or what would it look like? So their their catchphrase is "Jobs first, Brexit." Um, I mean, yeah, and that's it, that, I could have thought of that one. Yeah, <laughs> I did not put a lot of creative energy into that yeah. idea. But they're they're very much more on the softer side than what the Conservatives have been arguing for. Okay, um, which I don't think will please a lot of people that were pushing for Brexit. But equally, it is still 
Brexit, albeit not be exactly what they envisaged, it, it would be remaining in the customs union. Okay. Um, it would still trying to retain as much access to the free market, but then in that vein, you lose what Brexit was so really yeah, about. That, how different is it from status quo? Yeah, exactly, and uh, all you do is lose your right to have MEPs and influence the European Union. So, But I think okay. in light of that, I don't think that would be the worst idea because if you were to do that, remain in the customs union, things don't change too much. Yeah, I mean, and just then, things like food and medicine. Yeah, like, I mean, that's the... <laughs> insulin for people might be... Uh, right, no, yeah. but truly, I yeah. mean... And I mean... and. Just, I mean, if nothing else, the border in Ireland, I think... I, I mean, that alone. Yeah, it's that, that's something that every time people argue for a no-deal, just completely, conveniently forget the whole Northern that Ireland whole problem. That whole thing that we time. just resolved? Yeah, it's just... It, well, not we. I yeah, wasn't helping, <laughs> but I don't want to take credit for that. Because <laughs> people did amazing work. I don't yeah. deserve that. Oh, um, sorry. <laughs> um, yeah, I don't know. I think it, it just... Well, where we go from here, I'm not sure. But I think if Labour can... If there is a general election, I think Labour would win on a on yes. either either a customs union Brexit as okay. they are or um, a people's vote. But I think in the interest of the long term kind of civil unrest of the country, I think mm-hmm. to deliver a Brexit in any form um, would be actually probably the best way to make people calm down a little bit. So even, right. even if it's a customs union Brexit and then you move from that maybe five ten years down the line and then we well five years down the line and we have another referendum because i think right. people forget that when we first joined the eu that within a year we had another a referendum on whether we still wanted to stay in it right um and we, we voted to stay in again so there is already a precedent to say we've made this big decision and we've delivered mm-hmm. it which i think is a lot of what this democratic kind of frustration is about is that people have voted for this and it, if it never happens people Right. People don't understand that that's. Yeah, I think at this point, if there's no Brexit, you're just not on solid ground ever. Yeah, people just completely lose trust um, in the whole democratic process, and Mm -hmm. albeit complex and for for some good reasons. I can understand why people would feel so disenfranchised by that. Mm -hmm. But I think to deliver, as Labour kind of planning to do, would be a customs union kind of soft Brexit, reevaluate where we are in five years' time. Right. And then also just allow for some time for that kind of like referendum exhaustion. Yeah. Let people calm down a little bit. And then by that point, it's, what, 2024, 2025? It's a real year. And then then we will probably have a referendum and vote to join back in and things will be calmer (laughs) again. But I think if you don't deliver Brexit at all, I think there is a real risk of unrest and I mean right. I think that that's what is my big concern with the country is that we we never find that kind of peaceful mm-hmm. conciliatory compromise sort of goodwill nature that we used to have in the country and I, hmm. that's one of my saddest points about Brexit is that just how toxic everyone is to each other and I don't think that's really what I feel in the British character should be what we're about and Absolutely. I think it's really exposed an ugly side to that which I, I don't believe is what how people really are I just think mm-hmm. people are frustrated and what to believe in something. Yeah, and they're under some extreme circumstances. Yeah, exactly. So, yeah, I don't know. It's it, <laughs> it's, it's hard not to not to look forward with a little bit of... Um, a little bit of... A bit of sadness in terms of A little of weight on your shoulders. Yeah, but I think, if nothing else, at least we're, we're three years down the line and we're closer and closer to actually coming Just to some sort something. of resolution. Because yeah. if nothing else... Brexit completely aside, like, the country is struggling, like unimaginably in, in other ways like in all our attention and efforts and the civil service and all oh, our work that's a good is point. all everything's focused on brexit and you forget the the real struggles of the nhs and the right. education system yeah social housing everything else that's under a lot of strain in our country that that's an excellent point basically receives no media attention because it can't at the moment because we're making the biggest decision <laughs> in our peacetime history probably ever of the country and whilst that is of paramount importance it's sad that how much 
we forget about the real things right, that yeah. impact real people in their day-to-day lives and if nothing else from Brexit whatever way it goes mm-hmm. I'm looking forward to a time where politics goes back to debating to education yeah and, what yeah. people what people experience in their day-to-day lives and how that can be improved no that's a great point I didn't even think of that yeah, yeah. It's, it's and it's so easy to get so wrapped up in in the whole Brexit drama because I think from what mm-hmm. from what, from my European kind of colleagues here it, they they switch on to hear Burko shout order at people and then it's like a soap opera to them they see the House of Commons as a some sort of theatre um, yeah yeah Labour just stopped <laughs> voted to stop Brexit That's I'm just the, scrolling through Twitter yeah. as we're chatting which is rude but no, you know I mean, making still... sure that like nothing dramatic happened as we're talking I would yeah. make sure that it's still a no vote before yeah. we keep going yeah I don't, you never know do you this time yeah, I mean, that would be... If Labour run with that, then that's, yeah. Yeah. Interesting. I don't know. Well, no, that was a vote from Conservatives, just to be clear. Yeah. Or um, a tweet from, yeah. sorry. I mean, that would be the line they run with, but it, it's... It, <sighs> if it's May's deal, no deal, or no Brexit, I think that... And what is so bad about her deal? Like, is it just the whole thing is just difficult to write a good deal? Or is there something specific that's... I mean, I'm assuming Northern Ireland. Yeah, Northern Ireland is the, the biggest sticking point. So for the... Um, DUP that she's aligned with uh, which she basically caused to herself because she lost her majority when she had a snap election in 2017 but the withdrawal agreement she agreed created the backstop in Northern Ireland which is like this supposedly temporary sort of period of um, kind of divide but not having a hard border but it ultimately will lead to a hard border in the end and that's something that the Northern Ireland yeah. Um, government will never agree to. Um, and do voters of or citizens of Northern Ireland have any specific rights with this? Like, do they get any particular status here? Well, I mean, they get no, nothing unique from mm. the rest of us. So I think that's I think that's that's another really interesting side to Brexit is that if you look at um, Scotland and Northern Ireland that had mm-hmm. fairly large, well, uh, larger margins of Remain than right, um, yeah. than leave for the rest of the country, they're being forced into. Um, a Brexit that the, their countries don't want, um, and I think that long term will, if if it were to go to a no deal or a hard Brexit and actually mm-hmm. go through, I think you're likely to see another huge drive for Scottish independence, which um, they failed on a few years ago. But I think in context of everything that's just happened, um, they'll want to be a member of the European Union and will will, if hard Brexit goes through, probably leave the the UK and uh, Northern Ireland albeit difficult now I think mm-hmm. within 30 40 years there's rumors again of maybe a unification of Ireland and I think that Whoa. which is crazy yeah, I mean considering only 20 years ago this peace agreement was actually um, achieved I think mm-hmm. it it is incredible to think but I think it's just how how things are changing quite rapidly and for, and for the, the people of these countries mm-hmm. that if, if the UK is not delivering for them then they'll find their means through other ways which is one of the saddest things as well because it's the end of uh, end of our history as a as a united kingdom and hmm. with northern ireland which is yeah, yeah i don't know lots yeah. of, there's, there's lots of layers to the sadness it's like like Shrek. it's like <laughs> an onion there's just more i'm gonna give you one more which i think we'll circle back to after a break but i do want to point out that joining the eu is difficult uh, yes and this idea that like scotland could just vote to leave the uk and then just like prance on into the eu is a lovely picture, but 100% not how this would go down. And so, and that's, you know, a wider conversation about, you know, how it should be or, you know, how these laws should be changed. But I think Scotland's an interesting place because Mm. they could vote to leave the UK with the goal of joining the EU, but they're kind of marching out into the wilderness, which doesn't make it bad, 
but it's just the Scottish people, and I think they would understand. That's another conversation that could have its own hour. Um, but I mean, a presenting of you know where you might do this, but it's not like we are just leaving the UK to you know hook our sail to the EU immediately. I think that's that would be my main concern. If I were, if I was a Scottish person, I think yeah. I would be perhaps inclined to think about whether whether they want to stay in the United Kingdom, but equally like pragmatically, yeah, to to leave and have that period of limbo. And that where could be you're ten being, years. That could yeah. be a year. I mean, probably not a year, yeah, but like but I mean, that could be. You have no idea time wise how, yeah. how long that's going to take to to join the European Union. I think without the the, the funding from England going to Scotland I think yeah they, just, it would be it would really be a case of we're going to take a bit of pain as a country for some five ten years and, yeah. and for the sake of our long-term goal of um, independence and the European Union which I think it'd be an interesting campaign politically to really watch because it, it, it's like how much are you willing to take for this goal I don't know well and then you know if it's a 10-year process what's the EU going to be in 10 years yeah. you know nothing is certain you know it's not a promise you know by this year we will join the EU which will look or feel or behave this way yeah there's no real certainty other than not being in the UK yeah and and the real gamble there is also I mean with rising Euroscape I mean if you think right. five ten years time down the line if you think five ten years ago we were in 2009 or I mean I think 2007 was only 12 years ago but the the idea of the European Union and how much hope was in it then and you right. bring just over 10 years down the line and this and Euroscepticism and this real crisis at the heart of Europe which I think will mm-hmm. be good to get onto in our next section but um, yeah I think Scotland would really be tying their their hopes to a European Union project which is very much in the balance at the moment we don't know yeah. which way it's going to go but it, is, it would be a gamble for them so I still don't know whether they would vote in favour of independence, even if they had it after Brexit, but it's uh, it's just throwing more turmoil into the <laughs> British politics a machine. More in here. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> God, yeah, it's um, yeah. But with that, we'll um, move on to some music. Play some fun bass lines to calm you down. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> that. <laughs> I've been with some women Not cause they've been lacking Just I've been lacking the feeling I've been staring at the ceiling Listen to the chat that they're revealing Wondering if I open up or keep concealing I ain't trying to be demeaning it seems Thought you knew this I don't really do this Moving like a Judas Talking all that talk But ain't no time for acting foolish When you ask them all the time for saying true this I might just jump on this for free Jumping on them freestyles I be wild Moving brain seed now It's so sunset It's beautiful It's one guest One morning afternoon In that sundress The summer flies by every morning, I'm still yawning. Same conversation, never boring. Yo, she texted me. Oh, that's Tom. Oh, for fuck's sake. I know oh. that these days are feeling cold. My love could take her home as if we never knew. I was too young for 
and cute. Alright, and then you say you ain't about guys. Alright, especially brothers from the south side. But been about mine ever since the drought line. You put me been living on this cloud nine, saying it's about time starting. Front light, nothing will change until it rains. Ain't nothing the same. Alright, cause you become like the blood in my veins, saying I'm way too young to be stuck in the rain. And still it's peak weeks till I figured out you play keys. 18, you put listening to JD, blaming the bait trees, telling me you hate these. Jeez, but did it need me telling you they ain't me? Because they ain't me. Uh, they ain't me. Don't need to know about the colours that they paint me I've been too busy getting dizzy Got that JD dreaming that the places you could take me So now I I'm know safe. That these days are feeling cold My love could take her home As if we never knew I was too young for you
Was um, Lorcana, Damsel Fly, and Eminence Front by The Who. Excellent. I choice. love that song. It's so good. Excellent choice. Um, yeah, nice um, light relief from uh, <laughs> some heavier topics. But moving on to something just as um, slightly saddening, um, I guess. <laughs> um, so, as we were just wrapping up there from talking about the EU, I guess, looking towards um, what Brexit really means for Europe as a whole and, and the West as a kind mm. of concept, I think, would be a good segue because I think. Brexit in itself is not unique to Britain, I think. Mm. <laughs> Whilst it might have manifested itself in Brexit yeah. as the, the final result, I think you can see across Europe a kind of general frustration with, with the situations from a lot of people mm-hmm. um, and a swing towards um, more populist movements that they feel represents their, their frustrations a bit more than traditional politics. Um, but your field of study. Hello. <laughs> so... <laughs> On that point, would you like to introduce kind of what you do? And, I mean, uh, I want to keep this relevant, so I'm gonna. Can, if I start going in the wrong direction, just kind of nudge me. I won't be offended if you're like, "That's not what I want to hear." <laughs> but so surface level, I think, and this is a lot of people share this theory with me. But as we're getting more toward kind of politics that are outside of a nation state, there's kind of this increasingly distant thing that you can point at. Like in the US, Trump loves to talk about NAFTA and NATO. And and so I think it's a really great like scapegoat for any kind of frustration to point at the thing that's the least concrete. Um, and this is a really weird metaphor to use, but it works. Um, so there's situations a lot of times with um, like mobs of people. So if there's a large gathering and then there's a mob and someone is trampled or someone you know, is hurt. It's really easy to blame the mob because it's such a faceless thing. When in reality, you can blame like fire code or like the design of the building they're in. But the mob is easiest because the mob can't speak for itself. And so I think in a sense, you know, politics or decision making outside of like my mayor or my like local representative is an easy thing to blame because it can't collectively speak the same way that my like, you know, local representative or my, you know, parks and rec person can absolutely that's my little monologue i think i have some questions and push me in the right direction yeah i I know that's absolutely how i see the whole thing because i think the eu itself has been it's such an easy tool for a a national politician or a a local politician to this is it's not our fault it's (laughs) this higher higher organization higher higher body and i think yeah i think on that point it's so easy just to cancel yourself of blame and put it on something mm-hmm. which you either don't understand or is too complex or has lots of different facets to it right. and just to kind of throw those criticisms at that yeah and I do want to contradict slash correct myself a little bit because it's different you know I don't mean to suggest that like politics outside a nation have never happened before but I think this is unique because it's not 
something like a treaty or mm-hmm. something like an alliance. Like the EU, there isn't a, there isn't a clear parallel. And so not only is there some very legitimate and warranted frustration with it, but there's no consensus or common definition about what it should be. Like when you're in a failed state or like your local government doesn't work, it's really easy to say a city should provide these things and it's failing to do so. But with something like the EU, it's not it's not a federal state. It's I've given the spiel a lot, it's my favorite spiel. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's not a treaty. Like there's no common agreement of this is reality and this is what it should be and here's the gap. And I think that is a uniquely difficult, vague, complicated problem with the European Union specifically. Yeah, and I think unlike anywhere else in the world, like this 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 union of states is is unheralded and to kind of we're to kind of take it forward into unknown territory really because there's no precedent there's no experience right, and that's that you can draw upon as, as an as an experienced example to learn from and it's just yeah. trying to make headway where it can because i think the european states rely on each other mm. for in, in so many ways to, totally. to do what they do and i think they need the european union in, in in a lot of ways to to continue to have success as they are but then you have on the other side people are worried about it becoming a super state and that's that's where you I get mean, that's where you get that's where you get that but that's where the nationalist legally, voices come in it, uh, there's some yeah but but i mean and there's no sexy way for me to argue back in yeah. one line where yeah. it's a really appealing catchphrase to be like it's a super state and then there's no way for me to respond without me like pulling out like legal documents which yeah. i get and, why that's not selling with the people and that's that, and that's where you have that exact point of populism to come in. Because I think, uh, from from a British perspective, I think mm. a lot of the frustrations, the two points that mostly led for Brexit were immigration and sovereignty. And that sovereignty right. point is oh, it's totally. all focused. Totally, it's all focused on the European Commission because it's not oh, elected, yeah, yeah. but it has consolidated a formidable amount of power. And I think you, sir, it, just it, walked into my thesis. Yeah. But continue. <laughs> Even me personally, like I, I, I'm, I'm interested by how much power. The European Commission has yeah. the fact that, say, the European Parliament cannot initiate legislation, and yeah. they're the only people that the European citizens have elected themselves. Mm. It, it it beggars belief that that the power dynamics within the European Union. I can understand why people might have some frustrations with totally, but the benefits, I would say, like you say, is so hard to articulate simply, or the safeguards yeah. are so hard to articulate simply. Whereas for for a populist movement to say X, Y, and Z, right. all they have to do is put it out there and they don't have to yeah. substantiate or defend it. It's a lot of it's, because it's an easy sell. And, and when totally. you've got the media- And I mean, it's not wrong. I mean, it, the, the thing is what they're saying is not wrong. It's just that the answers are very complicated. Yeah. And I think it, it's easier for people to sit on the side of, I know what the problem is and be like, this is what I don't like. And I completely yeah. understand that. And then, but the solutions are so complex that it's difficult to, um, to truly work towards them for a lot of ways. Yeah. But then I, I do think there is a lot of very reasonable frustrations with the European Union. And yeah. I think I really think that that's something that doesn't get acknowledged enough. Yeah. And to get on my soapbox a little bit, you know, I think the problems are complex too. Yeah. So like when you spoke about the European Commission, if, if Europe were a country, that would be insane to yeah. have a commission that was not elected. Like, of yeah. course. But I'll circle back to EU is not a country. It's not a state. So we might collectively decide that that's okay, which is a whole you know, a whole nother conversation. But, you know, it's it's easy to point at that and say that's not democratic, but it's because we're comparing it to the standards of a nation state. And, and yeah. you know, there's some good counter arguments to why that thing shouldn't be elected, even though that would be super problematic in any individual country. Yeah, I think it, the way I 
kind of justify it to myself is that I see mm. the commission as a, a, a very powerful civil service that right, yeah. can because the work of the EU to, to have any sort of long-term perspectives and understanding on how the EU is going to work long term um, yeah I think it's so hard to to see um, how it could be anything other than like a bureaucratic administrative or like facet to the European Union without that I don't think the European Union could operate. It, right, and that's, you know, that's the big, you know, I'm someone that likes to, you know, argue kind of in favor of things being a little more technocratic than is acceptable. But, I mean, it just comes down to if you want this thing to work, you've got to make some... I shouldn't be running. You know, I think I, as a voter, as much as I might care about the environment, I'm not a scientist. Like, yeah. at some point, I have to pass the ball to someone, which is a controversial statement, and I'm hoping we don't have too many listeners today because <laughs> I understand that it's controversial just and the, I hear it, but uh, I'm just tossing out counter-arguments. Get rid of representatives, just have technocrats. No, don't quote <laughs> me saying that. Uh, I'm never coming on the show again. <laughs> well, too, I mean, I wonder how um, Brexit would have gone down if we just had the civil service deliver it and just I mean, got rid of the whole And of again, I understand I that the counter universe I'm offering is not the right one. I'm just throwing it out there to be, you know, no, difficult. I mean, I think the civil service might have done a better job of Brexit than our elected politicians did. You never know. But <sighs> yeah. On that note, anyway, um, <laughs> thank you very much for coming in. I thank really you appreciate for having that. me. Yes, um, I appreciate it. Yeah, very interesting thesis and oh, thank you. Um, contributing to some very important issues because I think that's stuff we're going to need to work on in the future. Which I appreciate in, you saying that. In the third part of the segment, I'll, I'll mention that again because I think it's really important that we have research and, and committed academics to actually look at what we can do differently, um, where the problems are. I'm going to send my advisor this link <laughs> so he can see that I care about my thesis. All right, thanks All right, a lot. Enjoy you. your weekend. Yeah, you too.
That was Addicted by The Night Cafe, and I know the lead singer of that band, and they're very good. Um, oh, so I have a new guest with me now. Hi. Um, would you like to introduce yourself? Martina. Um, yeah, I'm Martina. I'm a student at KU Leuven. I'm doing the Master in European Studies, I'm and I'm Italian. How's it going? <laughs> bit, yeah. bit nervous. Yes, thank you for um, running here to get here. Uh, yeah. Very grateful for the, for the work to get here. But... Following on from the point on um, kind of Euroscepticism and the kind of issues with the European Union and populism, mm-hmm. I know you study two very specific examples in Hungary and Italy about populism. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, would you like to go into some detail about? Yeah, um, so I'm studying populism because I'm doing my thesis on it. And yeah. so my analysis is on populism movement in Italy and Hungary. Mm. And I'm studying in general the, the movement of populism in Europe. Um, as we know, populism is not a static movement, but is a dynamic mm. movement. And uh, it has become stronger all over Europe uh, after the crisis, uh, the Eurozone crisis, so yeah, the economic crisis of the Euro yeah. as a currency, and also after the increasing number of refugees and uh, um, migrants that are coming to our lands. Um, my first consideration about populism is that it is like a sickness, a syndrome that is uh, stuck in people's mind because politicians nowadays uh, are using a certain kind of narrative uh, that is based on a strong language. And Mm. language, it's very important uh, in language matter. I would like to divide uh, um, the topic uh, to make it easier to yeah. our uh, public. Yeah. 
the first dichotomy, in my opinion, that is useless to understand uh, is the dichotomy uh, identity and aliens. So, first of all, we have this division between the people that are nativist yeah. and the aliens. They are presented uh, as uh, uh, the major threat, the most urgent uh, mm. danger uh, to be handled. Absolutely. And um, people are afraid of this because they, the politicians are pushing on a certain perceived inequality that people feel throughout these aliens, throughout this immigrant. These immigrants are presented uh, to be thief, um, rapist, murderer, the people that are coming to steal our jobs. Of course, we know that it's not like that. Yeah. But um, in the specific case of Italy and Hungary, the two politicians, uh, namely uh, Matteo Salvini and Viktor Orban, are mm, pushing that kind of narrative inside of people's mind. So they are, um, um, they are increasing the fear of diversity, going exactly in the opposite direction of the European values that they are united now, is yeah. unity and in diversity. So that's the first problem that we have to face. Yeah. And once an idea is stuck, in someone's mind, it's very difficult to take it out. Very and, hard to change that perspective. And I that's think. why I define populism as a syndrome, as yeah. a sickness. And I think, I think I don't know reflections on the media as well, but I know uh, in the United Kingdom, like there's a, a media that completely supports this narrative, and you've got well-known um, like public figures calling mm-hmm. immigrants cockroaches and stuff like that. And you yeah. have in in the Brexit campaign, there was a poster of like a flood of people behind them. And in, both in language and in visuals, I think you see a concerted effort from uh, political parties and um, some aspects of the media that really push this agenda mm-hmm. um, that kind of dehumanizes and um, makes a threat of um, these diverse people or multicultural people or immigrants absolutely um, which i think it, it it's so detrimental and, and so untrue and i think it was really good that you mentioned inequality because i think that really links together because i think it really distracts people from the true reality of who is keeping wealth and prosperity from them which it's not the immigrant that's moving to their country it's it's the the elites and the structures around them that prevent them from from accessing opportunity and mm-hmm. um having fair education and welfare and yeah, exactly. all of the rest. And now that you mention education, I think that one other important thing to mention here is that Orban is uh, running this campaign of like bloodline Hungarians uh, and uh, is starting from education, so from school. And we all know how important education is and how it's important to shape uh, one people's mind and so if we start uh, by teaching our children that diversity is not a value but is uh, a danger then of course you'll have a people that thinks about that as a reality in 20 years so that's very dangerous in in hungary and in italy as well we have this movement of very um, extremist uh, uh, right-wing movement of young people of young uh, ignorant most of the time Uh, they are coming from the villages uh, not non-urban areas 
yes. uh, that are educated uh, in a very narrow-minded way. And so there is the tendency for them to increase this hate and this fear inside of the city yeah. while there are manifestations, for example, and stuff like that. So education is, uh, is the point to start uh, for a revolution, in my opinion. Yeah, which is scary, the fact that if, if you can get that within the education system, yeah. then that, is, that really embeds, like you said, that, that kind of mindset that will become ingrained in people and that that really doesn't bode well for, for the future of kind of being inclusive. And I think, yeah, the point that it's, it's the more rural individuals, the ones that perhaps don't have access to as much as an education, I think it's, it's the people that haven't really been exposed to globalization mm-hmm. in a positive way that but when find it quite easy and understandable for them in some ways to take up this narrative that I'm not feeling the benefits of globalization, I'm not really seeing the rewards. Yeah. But I do know that when I go to a city or a town that I'm seeing a lot of people that aren't like me mm-hmm. and I'm an unemployed person. <laughs> I'm an unemployed young person yeah, in rural Italy. Like you feel like where maybe that's where the problem is. And yeah. I think without education to teach people to think critically and, and kind of assess information and kind of um, really challenge what they're told, I think, yeah, you have that real risk of an education level of having um, this ingrained mm-hmm. fear of diversity, which can only bode badly for, for European member states because the future is globalized, the future is more diverse, and particularly for states where the, their own populations are decreasing because of the mm-hmm. aging populations with less lower birth rates. Their only solution really for, for growth is to have higher young people yeah. immigrating from elsewhere. And I think unless we really make a concerted effort to challenge that, I think like I said, 20 years down the line, you've got that, that risk of an education. There is an example in Ventotene, there is an island in Italy where the the primary school closed because the people didn't choose to embrace diversity and accept migrants as students. And so the primary school closed and wow. children on the island have to take the boat every morning to go to the mainland and follow classes just because people are racist and they didn't accept migrants. Wow, they closed the school. Yeah. Well, I guess that's how. How do you feel about that? Do you think that's Do you think that's an appropriate measure? Just like I think that, yeah. that that is yeah. absolutely insane yeah. not to accept somebody that is diverse. And I think that yeah, of course, like the the reason they used to to deny that that deny the the application of the students were was like they're not speaking their lang- our language. Uh, it's going to be difficult, but it's not more difficult to oblige yeah. a bunch of students, little students, little boy and girls, children to take a boat every morning and do one hour on a boat uh, to reach a building uh, on the mainland and follow a cluster. Madness, isn't it? It's madness, but that's fear, yeah. and that's that that's the power of fear. And the politicians are pulling that trigger; they're pushing that lever yeah. to increase this fear and go against globalization. Orban and Salvini, both of them, are are absolutely against globalization. Orban is talking about uh, Christian values. Uh, Salvini is talking about traditional family yeah. going uh, mm, like against gay people or even an independent woman is a problem for him. Uh, a woman that decides to work uh, and uh, the husband that is taking the, the role as a father is, is not... Um, it, it doesn't make sense in his mind. He can't imagine uh, yeah, our kind of state's backsliding towards that I hope that that's not the future that we have for our our society and our children and kind of no on that point in terms of just to wrap up because of time um for positive for positivity's sake do you think there's any hope for a populism on the left of a more from because I think like one thing that's really caught me in this past year is the kind of the climate marches and the kind of that 
the energy from the generation just below ours, which I've never seen in our generation, actually, this kind of ability to get over that youth apathy to politics. And you've seen across like 2000 cities, over 120 countries, you've got waves of students leaving school to, to march for the climate. Do you think that there could be an opportunity on the other side to really harness the populism that is is pro-globalization, pro um pro-diversity, pro-climate, do you think there is an alternative or do you think we might struggle to, to really wrestle that off of the <laughs> off of the far right? Um, well, I'll, I'm going to fight for that. Yeah. I, I'm still fighting every day in my choices and yeah. I think that is a matter of personal choices. Every, every one of us has to do uh, the choice not to throw garbage in the street or to, in, to decrease the, the use of electricity or yeah. gas inside of our apartment, but... There is no other solution. Yeah. I mean, our world is going down. Yeah. And if we're not taking a step tro- like forward uh, in the direction of uh, a real change, uh, there, there is nothing to yeah. do. So I hope. I hope. I hope as well I that hope. we can harness that. Because yeah. there's a lot of potential <laughs> in, in, in youth and our generations to really change yeah. things if we can really harness it. But it's so difficult to kind of funnel that. But yeah. I guess all we can do is... Hope. Hope. Yeah. So on that note, um, happy Brexit Day, <laughs> albeit not Brexit Day anymore. Happy Brexit um, Day to you. Yeah. Um, it's been wonderful having you on. And it's been wonderful hosting <laughs> the show. Thank you. I hope everyone enjoys the rest of the sun. And I'll speak to the radio at some point soon, hopefully. Bye. <laughs> To let me know Should I stay or should I go If you say that you are mine I'll be here till the end of time So you got to let me know Should I stay or should I go It's always tease, tease, tease You're happy when I'm on my knees One day is fine and next is black So if you want me off your back Well come on and let me know Should I stay or should I go? Should I stay or should I go now? Should I stay or should I go now? Decisions bugger me. Yeah, no, 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 no,